All right, again, good morning. Uh, If you turn with me to John chapter 4, the gospel according to John chapter 4, that's where we will be during our time. So just a little bit about what's going on here in this text. Uh, There's a, a famous story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. This is an encounter where Jesus, he is traveling with his disciples, and they're traveling through Samaria, and the disciples go in to, into town to get some bread, and Jesus is at the well, and, and he meets this woman who's there, and they have a conversation essentially about water. And, and via this conversation about water, Jesus reveals to her uh, that he is the Messiah. And so th- th- this woman has a, a past of, of, of sexual brokenness, which is why she's at the well by herself. She's an outcast at the, at the hottest part of the day. And uh, Jesus encounters her and loves her. And so she goes back to the town, or, well, where we see them now is they're ending their conversation. She's about to go back to the town, and his disciples are coming back with bread. So um, we we find ourselves there in the text. Uh, And the whole point of John is to show us that Jesus is the king who gives us eternal life. So again, uh, John chapter 4, verse 27, uh, we're going to read God's word, and I'm going to explain God's word, and we, we do this because we believe that God's word is God's word. He speaks to us through his word. He, uh, give, the King, G, King Jesus reveals to us who he is and what he expects of us as far as walking in abundance of life. So uh, John chapter 4, verse 27, and uh, I will read, pray, and then we'll dive in. So John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is God's word. Um, Let me pray and we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for the fact that you have spoken to us. So God, in this moment, I ask that you would uh, strengthen me. I really do need preaching power, Lord. That's just not something fancy that preachers say, Lord. I really do need your Holy Spirit to fill me. 
that I might explain your word with boldness, clarity, passion, and conviction, uh, and love. And Lord, I pray that you open the hearts of my hearers, that they might believe your word, that they might love and cherish your word. Lord, I pray that they would store it up in their hearts, that it wouldn't just uh, wither away after it is preached. And Lord, that they would not just simply be good hearers of your word, but they would be good doers of your word. So Lord, we ask that you would help us, and we are expecting you to meet with us in this moment. We love you. Amen. Now, there is a condition, um, a new term nowadays that describes a condition that's very serious. It's caused friend circles to break up. It's caused people anxiety and distress. Uh, it's caused people to, to cry and, and uh, really feel down and out. Do, do you all know what this term is? It's not sin. It's FOMO. Have you all heard of FOMO? FOMO is F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. Have you all heard of that? Maybe you've heard your kids talk about it. FOMO can look like a lot of things. It can look like when you're, you know, if you're a college student, you're sitting in your dorm room and you know you have a paper to write because you have an 8 a.m. class the next morning and someone says, hey, there's this really cool hangout going on. You want to come with me? And you knowing that you need to write that paper or else you'll be staying up all night. Uh, but you still say, ah, okay, I'm going to go. I don't want to miss out. FOMO strikes and causes you to pull an all-nighter and write that paper throughout the night and fall asleep in class the next morning, right? FOMO strikes. Uh, or maybe, you know, for those of us who have pets, uh, I, I had a, a dog, and whenever guests would come over, he would be in his cage and barking, barking, barking. FOMO was striking my dog. He had a fear of missing out. He wanted to be in the mix. Um, or maybe, you know, we're on social media, and we see something that's going on, and we, or we see our friends out, and we say, oh, I really want to be a part of that. Why, why didn't I get the invite, right? We experience FOMO. Now, FOMO is this feeling of anxiety or distress or sadness when we see something amazing and spectacular going on and we aren't a part of it. We didn't get the invite. FOMO can be painful, but church, I believe that our problem isn't FOMO. I believe that we have the opposite problem. Our problem is that Jesus is up to something amazing and spectacular. He is on a mission to reach all people with the good news of the gospel. And we have absolutely no fear of missing out so often, don't we? That Jesus is, is reaching people. He's transforming lives. He is crossing racial and ethnic barriers. And people are coming to meet the Lord. And he's in areas of healing. And we have no fear of missing out. So, uh, also, what I want us to do, what I want to do in this moment is I want us to develop a little FOMO, right? I want us to, you know, look at Jesus' Instagram and see him saving people and serving people and transforming lives, and we're like, oh, why didn't I get the invite, right? And I'm here to, today to tell you, you did get the invite, and I want us to jump in. Uh, so my, my main point is that Jesus is on a mission. Are you with him? Jesus is on a mission. Are you with him? And I want to look at... Three things about this mission very quickly. It's scandalous, it's urgent, and it is successful. Jesus' mission is scandalous and urgent and is successful. So can we try something? Uh, somebody say scandalous. Good, all right. It's kind of like a black church thing I do with my, my Jackson State students. Y'all are, are making me feel a little bit at home. I, I do feel at home, but I'm, feel, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling real at home now. Uh, all right, Jesus' mission is scandalous. Um, 
So, so we see the disciples come up to Jesus, right? And he's talking with this woman. He's having a conversation with her. And we see the disciples prejudice, right? They're walking up and they're looking at each other like, what is Jesus doing talking with a woman, right? And so, and not only that, but this was a Samaritan woman. So we see the disciples' prejudice coming out. In order to understand this, you have to know a little bit about some common Jewish thinking. Uh, for Jewish rabbis, which Jesus was, a rabbi was basically a teacher, uh, it was at best a waste of time for a Jewish rabbi to speak with a woman and at worst spiritually dangerous. Uh, we, we kind of see uh, this kind of sexism going on in the disciples' thinking. And then on top of that, this woman was a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. The Jews kind of saw the Samaritans as kind of half-blooded Jews, and the Samaritans, they saw the Samaritans as having kind of a bootleg version of their religion. And so they're like, what is Jesus talking, doing talking to a woman and a Samaritan? And so the disciples being awkward, socially awkward and weird, the woman's like, okay, I'm going to go be on mission. Uh, I'll, I'll be back, right? And then so Jesus uh, is talking with the disciples. Uh, but we see here, our, our first point is that Jesus' mission is scandalous. And you, and you might say, oh, scandalous. Well, you know, Jesus' mission is scandalous. You see, a scandal is something that causes general public outrage by a perceived offense against common day morality or law. Essentially, it's something that offends the common day sensibilities. And here we see G what Jesus was doing would have been scandalous for a Jewish rabbi to do. Um, and this teaches us something about Jesus' mission to see people meet him and believe in him. Jesus' mission reaches across sexes. He invites both men and women into the kingdom and affirms their equality. Women are not second-class citizens in this kingdom. This would have been scandalous to the Jews. You see, Jesus' mission reaches across race and class. Um, this, uh, Jesus is inviting Samaritans into his kingdom, and he is bringing them and making them co-heirs and co-members and co-partakers of the household of God. This would have been scandalous. Uh, Jesus' mission reaches across social lines. This woman was a social outsider. People didn't want anything to do with her. And Jesus was the only one who wanted to reach out to her and invite her into his kingdom. This would have been scandalous for a religious teacher to do. And Jesus' mission reaches across political lines. He is pursuing people from every nation, every political party, every city, and he is wanting them to be a part of his kingdom. You see, my wife and I, when we first got married, we, we, we've been married for three years. We wanted to kind of create a piece of art. So we have a, a big C hanging on our wall. But that C, it started out as a, as a wooden we went to a mosaic shop. Have you ever done mosaic art? It's when like you take a piece of wood and you know it's, it's, it's a fun like date night activity, you know, and it forces you to work together. You know, I'm putting like bullet shell casings on there, and Janelle's like, no, stop, you're ruining the grand design, right? And uh, you know, so we're we're having to work together, and we're we have the container of like you know bullet shell casings and maybe like plastic, and then broken jewelry, and then shards and glass, and the goal is to put all of these things down and to make a beautiful piece of art. And family, this is what God's mission is like. He sits down at the table and he sees all these separate containers. He sees uh, these containers of uh, these racial containers of black, white, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans. And he sees domestics in this container, internationals in this container. And he sees men and women and he is gluing them down. He takes blacks and whites and he glues them down. He takes internationals and domestics and glues them down. He takes uh, people from the inside socially and outsiders socially, and he glues them down on the same piece of art. He takes people uh, from the Democratic and Republican and Independent and all different types of political parties, and he glues them down. He is reaching out to all these different containers, and he wants to make a beautiful piece of artwork called the church. 
But family, what's interesting is that if Jesus, so the Bible talks about Jesus is not just interested in saving individuals. He wants to see the whole world united under his lordship. And if the whole world is to be united under his lordship, aren't divisions a problem? If we're to be united under his lordship? So Jesus wants to create a, a beautiful and diverse church that uh, is scandalous to the world's sensibilities because the world wants to be divided. But don't we love being divided? Don't we love being in our separate containers? That we love being around people who are like us and don't have to challenge us. And then as we are around people who are like us, we look at those other people in other containers and we're saying, I'm gl- so glad I'm not like them and they don't know how to think and that's weird. And, they can, and then we just continue, continually draw deeper in our own fears and our own obsession with being around people like us. And, and this is how the world operates. But family, hasn't the church kind of taken some cues from the world? We have all different kinds of churches that are uh, shaped by the divisions. We have the contemporary church, the traditional church, the white church, the black church, the Hispanic church, the Asian American church. We have the cowboy church. You know, we have the hipster church. We have the, um, you know, church that likes blue seats and then church that likes wooden seats. And we have churches that like three songs and churches that like two songs. And we have all these different kind of churches. And I think it's because we aren't really united around Jesus. We are united around our cultural preferences and around people who like, who are exactly like us down to the T. And so what what God is doing is he's calling us out of this and he's calling the church to develop this kind of mosaic heart, this heart that wants to uh, reflect God's heart to be on mission to anyone and everybody who passes by in our sphere of influence, which is what Jesus was doing at the well. And here's the thing. I know if you're anything like me, you have all different types of insecurities and fears and prides and just things that might mentally hang me up from talking to people who are not like me. I'm like, oh, will they reject me? Will I say something stupid? Oh, I'm scared. And I don't know. Should I go to this part of town? Oh, this is weird. And Jesus isn't doing any of that. Isn't it beautiful to know that we have a Savior who is not scared to have that conversation with the person we're scared to have a conversation with? That Jesus is not scared to go to that part of town that we're scared to go to? That Jesus loves those people that we struggle to love? That Jesus, coming down and becoming a human being, loved people who are not like him. And so, family, we are encouraged to go out and go forth because we have a loving Savior who's going to walk with us in our fears and our doubts and our worries. And he's going to minister to us and push us outward into a scandalous mission. Secondly, Jesus' mission is urgent. Somebody say urgent. So we see here, um, Jesus, so, so when I say urgent, some of you, just felt a little anxiety, right? Because when things are urgent, that usually means that there's bad consequences about to happen if you don't give that certain thing attention. But that's not what Jesus' mission is, is urgent. It's not urgent in that way. Uh, Jesus' mission does not depend on us. Jesus is not really necessarily like counting on us desperately to jump in or else people, you know, Jesus' mission is his. It's urgent because we are jumping into something amazing and we ought to get in right now if we have any sense, right? It's almost like this. It's almost like, you know, say you're, you're at work and someone calls you and say, hey, I just talked with your boss and your boss is going to give you two weeks of paid leave. All you got to do is go home and pack your kids up. You have an all expense paid vacation, you know, to um, the, a, a tropical island and you can stay in the nicest resort and have the nicest food and you'll have an on-site babysitter when you want to, you know, go out. And, you know, so would you say, uh, no, thanks. Right. You, right. What, what would you do? 
I'll be like, hang up the phone, and I'm saying, Janelle, pack up the kids right now. We are going to a tropical island, and we are having a two-week vacation. We're getting paid while we do it, right? That is, the urgency isn't because I feel like something bad is about to happen. It's because something good is happening. I need to jump in. It's like an all-star basketball player, and he knows his team is about to win, and he's injured. But you know why he's desperate to get on the court? Not because the team is going to lose. He knows the team is going to win, and he wants to be a part of that. He's desperate to be a part of something amazing. That's the urgency of the mission for Christians. We know that Jesus is up to something amazing. We know that he's winning, and we want to jump in. Uh, He uses kind of these terms to describe uh, his mission. He says in verse 35, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Um, So he's basically saying that there's a separation of time between when you sow seed and when you reap the harvest. Jesus is saying, y'all, it's urgent. Y'all were gone in the town. I've already sowed the seed and uh, people are coming to be reaped. Uh, Just imagine. So the Samaritan woman, remember, goes to the town. She's bringing the whole town to meet Jesus and his disciples on the horizon. So while Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples and he's schooling them on mission, here's his new recruit and and she's on mission and she's bringing a whole village to Jesus. Jesus is like, it's ready now. And then he uh, says, one sows and another reaps. Usually in uh, agriculture, there's teamwork, right? There's, there's multiple people who do things, and there's teamwork. Jesus is like, this is the team of one, y'all. <laughs> Jesus says, tells his disciples, basically, you all contributed nothing to what is going on here. Actually, you might mess it up, right? Jesus is, is saying, I have sowed, and I am reaping, and you are jumping into what I'm already doing. You see, family, not only is it urgent because it's, 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 uh, we're jumping into it. It's urgent because it's ready and we haven't even done anything really. Jesus is the one who guarantees his mission. Matthew 16 says that Jesus will advance his church. He has promised that. And then on top of that, uh, the, the, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has literally prepared the good works. He has prepared your path in his mission already. He's providentially setting things up and setting conversations up and opening doors for you to reach out. You don't even, you, you don't even really contribute much in, in that way. All you do is jump in. And on top of that, uh, Philippians 2 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not only that, but God, the Holy Spirit, gives you the desire and the energy to jump into the mission. And if that wasn't enough, when's the last time you breathed on somebody and they were born again? I don't know about y'all, but that's not how it works for me, right? <laughs> even when we share the gospel, even when we share the gospel in, in the context of fellowship and service, it is the Holy Spirit who brings people to life. It is the Holy Spirit who transforms people. And so we see that just like the disciples, we contribute very little if not nothing to the mission. And Jesus just calls us to hop into the harvest that is already ready. Um, And it's not only urgent because it's ready, it's urgent because it's joyous. Um, Jesus says in verse 34, he told them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. They were like, did Jesus already eat? And he's like, no, I've been doing my father's will. Like I already said earlier, you know, my favorite food is, is duck sausage with pork cracklings and greens and there's like rice and sauce on top like I want y'all to just imagine your favorite meal real quick I want y'all to imagine like that meal that you're like man like if I could have that that would be great right I'm making some of y'all ready for lunch right yeah uh but Jesus says 
to do the Father's will is my favorite meal. He says, when I'm doing my Father's will, I am satisfied. He's describing Jesus' mission with terms of satisfaction. And not only that, he says, um, uh, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus is saying, my mission is about satisfaction and joy. He's saying, my mission is a harvest festival, right? When, whenever there is a harvest uh, in the, in, anywhere, there's a festival because they're basically like, hey, y'all, we, we can eat. We're not going to die, right? We have a harvest. And Jesus is basically saying this it is that kind of joy. So what does this mean for us? This means that there is satisfaction and joy waiting for us in going on mission with Jesus. And could it be that if you're, if you're maybe a Christian and you aren't experiencing this kind of satisfaction and joy in your Christian life, or maybe you feel like you're in a spiritual plateau or you're in a spiritual dry spot, could it be because you aren't pressing deeper into mission and Christian service? Could it be that you are not experiencing the joy of watching Jesus work in you and through you as you engage in mission? Uh, I know for me, even before I was a pastor and, and, and just being involved in Christian service and being involved in a local church and being involved in ministries and sharing the gospel, doing the nervous and weird work of sharing the gospel to my neighbors in the midst of serving them and loving them, those have been one of the, some of the most joyous moments in my Christian life, watching Jesus transform people through a broken vessel like me. Lastly, Jesus' mission is successful. Somebody say successful. So we see here, um, so in the text, all right, so, so you remember the town is on the horizon, right? And they're coming, and something weird is happening, right? Jews and Samaritans are meeting up, and the Samaritans are like, hey, you guys want to come hang out with us for two days? And Jesus and his disciples are like, okay. So they go, and they hang out in the Samaritan town. They're together for two days. And so the, the Samaritan woman had already told the town, hey, there's something weird about this guy. He is telling me all of my past and is telling me all that I ever did. And so basically, Jesus is actually there and they're seeing this happen for themselves. And so they say something interesting. They say, um, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You see, what's interesting is the Samaritan term for, for their Savior was the Tehev. And the Tehev was kind of like a Moses-like figure who would come and restore all things at the end of time. And I'm sure you all have heard of the Christ or Messiah. Uh, the Messiah was the Jewish term for their savior. This was a David-like kingly figure who would come and restore uh, God's perfect reign at the end of times. But here in this town, they don't call Jesus the Messiah. They don't call him the Tehev. They call him the savior of the world. Now, what's interesting is, is we say this oftentimes in our, in our churches and in our Christian conversation, but this term, this title for Jesus only occurs twice in the whole Bible. Did y'all know that? It occurs here, and it occurs in 1 John. And I think the reason they, they use this title is because they say this isn't just a Samaritan God. This isn't just the Jewish God. This is the God of the whole world. And there's a lot of funny things going on in this Samaritan town, y'all. There are Jews and Samaritans who don't hang out they're in the same town eating together uh, and, and fellowshipping together. This is weird. And then we see that this woman who was a social outsider goes back to the people who ostracized her. And she's sharing the gospel. So these people who made her an outsider, she who is now an insider spiritually can bring 
them as outsiders into the inside of Jesus' grace, right? There is a lot of weird stuff going on in this town, and it's because Jesus' mission is successful. We have Jews and Samaritans united by their common concern for worshiping the Savior of the world. Jesus' mission is successful. Uh, But lastly, I want to highlight... Something interesting that, uh, as I was studying, I've heard this passage a million times, but as I was studying it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, why does Jesus switch from water to harvest imagery, right? And I think it has something to do with the place uh, they're in. In chapter 4, verse 5, it says, They are in a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And so the conversation he has with the Samaritan woman was surrounding Jacob's well. Uh, And basically the woman asked Jesus, uh, when Jesus says, hey, you know, give me some water, and then they're, they're, they're conversing, and then Jesus basically tells her, I can give you living water. And throughout the whole conversation, you know, Samaritan woman is like, are you greater than our forefather Jacob, who this is, whose well this is? And Jesus didn't say it like this, but basically was like, yes, I'm greater than our father Jacob. I'm Jesus, right? And then so, but also this, this part of land was given to Joseph. So if Jacob is associated with water imagery, I think this is why he switches to harvest imagery. Do do you all remember the story of Joseph? How Joseph was one of the 12 sons of of Jacob and uh, his brother sold him into slavery because they were jealous because he was um, Jacob's favorite son. And he's in slavery in Egypt. And then he he rises to the top of Potiphar's house, who was his master. And then he's wrongly accused of sexual assault. And then he is thrown in jail. But even in jail, he rises to the top because the Lord is with him. And he meets two people. And these people were in Pharaoh's courts and they were kind of um, in the doghouse in Pharaoh's courts. And then they have dreams. And Joseph basically says, one of you will die and one of you will get back in Pharaoh's courts. And he says, when you get back in Pharaoh's courts, remember me. And so uh, the, the, the guy gets out and he's back in Pharaoh's court. But guess what happens? He forgets about Joseph. So Joseph continues in jail and then Pharaoh has a dream. And it's kind of a scary dream. Uh, and basically... Um, he, he, he needs someone to interpret this dream. So uh, the person in Pharaoh's court is like, hey, I had a buddy when I was uh, in jail who knew how to interpret dreams. So they bring in Joseph before Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream. And he basically says, you will have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And no one else could interpret this dream. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. And so Joseph is in second in command among Egypt. And the Bible tells us that Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. You see, Jesus is not only greater than Jacob because he gives eternal life, he gives living water, but he is also greater than Joseph because he is the true and better Lord of the harvest. You see, Joseph was gathering in a harvest of grain that could not be numbered, but Jesus is gathering in a harvest of people. Revelation tells us a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And and Joseph was reaping for seven years and then seven years of famine came, but Jesus will not stop reaping until the end of the age. The harvest will not stop. And Joseph himself went through prison in order to be in a position to gather in the harvest. But Jesus not only went through prison, but he himself went through death itself in order to be in the position to gather in this great harvest. 
Uh, You see, Jesus is not only the gatherer of the harvest, but Jesus is the seed that makes the harvest possible. Uh, In John chapter 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he says a few verses later, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Just as a grain must die in order to bring the harvest, Jesus had to die in order to bring in the great harvest of people that he purchased with his precious blood. And Jesus has risen again, and he has declared and shown everybody by his resurrection that he is king, that he is Lord, he is exalted, he has a name above every name, no one is above him, and he is bringing in even now in 2019, a great harvest for himself. And he has invited you to labor with him and be on mission with him. So family, Jesus' mission is scandalous, Jesus' mission is urgent, and Jesus' mission is successful. Would you join him? Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful privilege it is to be able to, to be invited into your mission. So God, I pray that you would uh, minister to us in our fears as we think about how your mission is countercultural and it rubs against the divisions and the prejudice and the uh, different uh, conceptions that the world has. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, excite us and exhilarate us with how joyous and how satisfying your mission is. Where we jump in, even though it's hard, Jesus, we want to walk with you and we want to know the joy of walking with you in Christian service and evangelism. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that your mission is successful, that Lord, you are doing amazing and spectacular things that we would never expect, and you're doing above and beyond what we can ever ask or think. And God, we are honored and privileged to even just be invited into something that uh, really you don't even need us to be in. But Jesus, because you love us, you want us to walk with you in that. So God, I pray that you would encourage us, you would uh, embolden us, Lord, you would excite us, uh, and Lord, may we see conversions. May we see uh, people brought into the mix uh, who have not been in the mix of of our churches and in our homes and in our um, friend groups, and may they see Jesus. Lord, we love you. Amen.